passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special post-roundtable. I am John Pollock, joined on this Sunday night by Wei Ting. How are you, Wei? I'm doing pretty good. How, how about yourself? Uh, this was a weekend to kind of just uh, somewhat decompress. Um, mm-hmm. It's It was like a really busy week, and I'm looking ahead, and you and I are doing a show pretty much every day this week. So there's no slowdown at this point. So I figured, why don't we do a bonus show tonight? Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, we'll be doing like, man, I'm looking at our schedule. I mean, we're going to be doing a show for the next 7, 6, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Pretty much for the next 13 days. So we're going to do a show every day for the next two weeks, which, you know, I'm, I have no problem with. Like, it's, you know, it's a... We're doing it from a safe distance away from one another. Totally cool with it. Well, yeah, I, I'm glad that I, I've got you to uh, do all these shows with. Likewise, likewise. Did you do anything this weekend? Have you like like what what is your outings consist of? Because I I go for like a walk every day. That's that's my social life right now. I haven't even done that. I um, what did I do? Um, I got to sleep in um the past couple of days, so I've been enjoying that, taking advantage of that. But otherwise, it's like cooking at home with my fiance. Uh, as you know, I've been like I I had a I. I, man, I'm so lucky that like I invested in a home gym before all this happened. So I've just been like using that a lot to get my exercise. And oh man, are you are you gonna like just look like a completely different person when I when I see you? Or are you gonna be like all jacked the next time I dude, see you I'm, in like eight months? You and I have often talked about John. If you and I went to jail, <laughs> man, it's not such a bad place. You know, we'd probably have so much time for yoga. Probably start going to the gym. We'd probably be reading a lot more. Maybe even meditating. You know what's crazy is that during this period where, um, you know, in theory, there's there's all this more time. Like my my book per week that I had been just flying through these books, I haven't read anything in the last two weeks. Is it mainly because of Max? Is it because of more work for related to this? There there has been a lot of work. Um, I'll tell you what I've gone down, and maybe we'll, we'll talk about this more on Tuesday on Rewind Away. Is that when I, when I finish my day and it's like 11.30 p.m. or something and we're not doing a show, I've been watching these old nitros from 95 and I've just ended up watching like so many of them. So that's been – that and wow. Tiger King. So uh, I've been like watching TV from like 11.30 p.m. to like 2 a.m. And then I go to sleep at 2 a.m. and I get woken up by my son at 7 a.m. to take him downstairs. So that's – Pretty much my my days right now is I get five hours of sleep. So right now you've been watching Nitro, you've been watching Tiger King, and a lot of Peppa Pig. Dude, I have 
heard so much Peppa Pig. It is that that theme song is just in my head constantly. It's now replaced Frozen. It is all Peppa Pig all the time. You're going to come out of this a very different person, I think. Uh, potentially, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. So on the show today, uh, we've got Marcus Vanderberg from Yahoo Sports. We have got Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics. He's going to talk about some of the financial implications of what WWE is going ahead with in terms of this scaled-down version of WrestleMania. But off the top, joining us first, he was a guest a number of weeks ago when I feel the world, or at least my world, was a completely different place. Uh, we are going to check in with Dr. Alex Patel, and he kicks off our post-roundtable. Kicking things off with us tonight on our special post-wrestling bonus show, uh, Dr. Alex Patel is with us. And Alex, uh, I want to thank you so much for uh, joining us once again. It feels like it was uh, a year ago that we last spoke with you. It certainly does. You know, I'm happy to be back. But yeah, a lot's happened. And as you know, um, it's a, uh, time moves a lot slower and we're all at home, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that way. Yeah. I, I can't imagine what things have been like for you over the past uh, three to four weeks. Uh, can you tell us maybe uh, just what are the, like the large, broad stroke differences specific to kind of our place here in, in and around the greater Toronto area of how things have evolved in the past three weeks and large changes that, that you've seen? Sure. So in the last three weeks, uh, based on the last time that we spoke, uh, most of the spread in this area was still very travel-based. So people had a link directly to a traveler. Uh, since then, we've seen large-based community spread to the point where now we don't even really track how people are getting the infection because we know it's rampant in the community. So we know that uh, if you just go out in the community, uh, you're at risk for getting it uh, independent of any uh, association with travelers. Since then, of course, the government has really cracked down. I believe uh, the latest was a five-person limit in terms of public gatherings. They've cracked down on all non-essential businesses, essentially forcing social isolation uh, more so than they were last time we spoke, where it was more just a recommendation. Uh, flights have obviously not been allowed in. Uh, and the hospitals, when we last spoke, um, the hospital cases, we knew that they were going to start trickling in. Um, they've started to come in. Uh, I would say, you know, we're not in surge yet, but uh, most of the hospitals have had a few cases. Uh, my particular uh, intensive care where I work, we've had, I think, four patients and one of whom has died. Um, so it's certainly coming and we expect that the next couple of weeks are really going to be sort of the peak period before uh, hopefully we start to see a leveling off of the cases and maybe even a drop off. What, what what would you say uh, is that level of dif difference between perhaps um, our part of the world and, you know, what, what's going on in North America and maybe some of the harder hit, more severe uh, zones like New York, for instance? Sure. Yeah. So New York is certainly uh, one of the hot spots. Uh, when you look at the graphs uh, in terms of new cases, uh, Ontario, which is uh, sort of how we describe Toronto in, in general, uh, has seen more of a flattening effect than most of Canada. So um, we've done a little better than most of the, the country. Uh, so our caseload uh, hasn't really been astronomical. We often look at doubling time. And if you look at our case, I think we had 211 cases today, 170 or so a couple of days ago. So we're not we're not really doubling. We're sort of adding a little bit more every day. Now, granted, the data is a few days behind because of the delay in testing. In the U.S., they're doubling, it appears, every two or three days in general. In certain areas, it's it's just been chaotic. Uh, we've talked to doctors in New Jersey and New York, and uh, um, you know their experience has been that they've been completely overwhelmed. Uh, we haven't seen that yet here. Uh, hopefully in Ontario, uh, you know, there's optimism that we've 
sort of um, flattened it a little bit. And uh, today the, the health ministers were on saying that they are hopeful that we'll see in the next couple of weeks if that effect carries through. So I would say in Ontario, we've certainly done better than a lot of the other areas that you see that are harder hit, New York in particular being uh, sort of at the front, I think, of, of most of the news coverage. How about, I know you can, you can mainly speak to uh, where you're working, but you know everyone's concerned about hospitals being overrun. What kind of is like the volume that, you, that you're experiencing at the moment? Are we, are we at that case right now where we're kind of hitting the limit of what resources are available? No, we're not there yet. So to give you an idea, uh, our ICU is equipped to handle up to about 40 to 50 patients. Um, we have some that are non-COVID that have already been there, maybe about 12. And we have about, you know, four, as I mentioned, that are COVID. So we have the ability to take in quite a number of patients. Now, um, in general, when in New York, uh, you hear stories about 13 to 14 new patients coming in that require ventilation a day. That would overwhelm us within a matter of two or three days if we hit that point. If we don't and we're taking in, you know, two to three every day, we could potentially continue on for, you know, a, a week or two like this. And that's kind of what we think. So we're hopeful that we won't be overwhelmed at least for a couple of weeks. And then either the caseload will drop off or a lot of the people that we have ventilated will, you know, uh, it may sound morbid, but unfortunately they will either pass away or they'll get better to clear up room for additional people that need um, ICU. What is the current status of uh, the availability of testing, uh, not just of, uh, in Toronto, but, you know, North America, I would say? So the testing is becoming more and more um, available. There are hospitals in a Toronto uh, area and there are hospitals in North America that have their own in-house testing. So if you're in this area, for instance, Mount Sinai has their own in-house testing. SickKids does. In Hamilton, they do. Which means that the hospital will run the test themselves and get the results back the same day and they're not overwhelming public health. Um, in a lot of other uh, parts, the tests are still going to public health if your hospital doesn't have that available. Because of the fact that they were getting a large number of public health, they started to limit the testing. So in Ontario, they really were only testing you. Uh, if you're a healthcare worker, for instance, like me, and you know you had to be tested so you could go back to work. Or if you uh, were sick, obviously, and required hospitalization, or there was some other reason. For people that simply had uh, mild symptoms, they generally weren't uh, testing you because they uh, sort of said, you know, there really isn't any treatment for this. If you can self-isolate at home for 14 days, just do that and avoid contact. And if you get sicker, come back to the hospital. Um, and that's largely been the approach most places. So, that, you know, what that means is that the death rates that you're reading are likely, in all likelihood, uh, a little bit lower because there's a large population of people that are well with this that are probably not being tested. Uh, that being said, the caseload is also probably higher. So there are more people infected. They are getting more and more uh, testing availability. The uh, diagnostic capabilities of the test um, are more accurate now, we think, than they were before. So the testing is improving. Um, but no, we're not currently testing everybody. And there are probably a large part that come to an assessment center and are sent home uh, to self-quarantine. How would you assess just the overall um, increase in education when it comes to the, the severity of all of this? Are you still are you still seeing people that are, are not fully understanding like the severity at this point and j just some of your overall like where things ha have changed in terms of, you know, the, the public's understanding of this, because that's obviously key to so much of this and trying to get your arms around this entire thing. I think in Ontario, we've been very fortunate. Uh, you know, most of us have been extremely impressed with what we've seen around us. Most of the public has taken to this. People are taking it very seriously. Uh, they're aware of the risk. They know what's going on. And I think most people are adhering to it. And that's why our curve is flattened, I think, relative to the rest of Canada. Um, there are areas where you don't see this. In Florida, they had people that were not adhering to this. Um, there were, you know, isolated cases of people that were not taking it seriously. Some of them actually developed it. 
Um, so I think, you know, there are areas that we can improve. Uh, I know I heard Trump saying that he was hoping um, by Easter things would be uh, able to congregate in the church. And I don't think that's at all realistic based on what's going on and based on the trajectory there. So I, I think in general, in our area, there is a lot of uh, concern about it and people are taking it very seriously. And they've done a great job by and large self-isolating. There's obviously going to be outliers here and there. And I think in some parts of the U.S. it's perhaps a, a bigger issue. Um, but in general, I think we're not doing badly. Currently, do you see, um, I mean, certainly this is already a problem elsewhere, but, um, you know, I've heard of stories of, of nurses now having to, like, make their own masks or people donating their own supply of masks. What what would you say is sort of like a, in, within North America, the status of uh, protective equipment and, and, you know, are people, are we getting more in? Like, what you know, what what's the latest on that? So, yeah, I mean, it's been an issue uh, in the last week um, at my hospital. We had numerous days where uh, doctors were concerned that they didn't have the appropriate uh, gear to go in the rooms. Uh, so we've been working to try and increase donations, um, trying to stop people from taking it from the hospital. I know a lot of people come in and feel that, you know, they really need it at home. But um, uh, I'll assure you we need it more uh, in the hospital. And we started to get more of an influx. So we did get more goggles and things like that. Um, and we also, uh, on Tuesday, are getting a large influx of more masks that should be okay for about six weeks, we're told. So, so far, I, I haven't seen anyone who's actually lacked PPE. There has been concern about it. it there has been low numbers. It's getting replenished. Uh, a lot of the doctors have taken uh, and nurses have taken to getting their own goggles themselves so that they're not having to recycle them. They just sort of uh, get ones that you can reuse. Um, so the masks are really the bigger concern and we are getting a large influx we're told on tuesday that should cover us for about six weeks so uh so far it's been tense but we've been able to manage and you've been following this i've, I've seen from you know your updates on the forum but what, what is the latest on in research for vaccination or treatments right so um there's been a lot of news i mean probably the most uh, that everyone's heard about it is hydroxychloroquine, which is an anti-malarial drug um, that's used. Uh, it's an older drug. There's actually resistance to chloroquine for a lot of malaria. But uh, this came out of uh, Dr. Walt, who's a physician who um, in, from Europe who really advocated this and said his experience was that four to five patients that were getting it was getting were getting better. Um, one of the problems with that is that it's not a, a randomized trial. So in medicine, there's observational studies where we look and see if people get better. And that's generally the weakest form of evidence. We like to randomize people where we take half the people and give them the drug and half we don't and then see what happens and kind of standardize for basic variables. And that's kind of the gold standard. Obviously, that takes time. So we don't have that data and we may not for a bit of time. But he was saying that. Um, that being said, the threshold in Europe, sometimes at some of these places to admit people to hospitals a little less. So they're admitting people that are not as sick. And we know if you do that in general, you're going to see about 80% uh, of people recover on their own. So it wasn't really clear whether it was actually helping in China when they looked at very small numbers there potentially wasn't helping that being said if you come into the icu we will give you hydroxychloroquine um we don't give it for sort of milder cases but at this point um we don't have a lot else to offer uh, other than that and um you know supportive care and various icu strategies to try and increase oxygen delivered to your body um in terms of giving it to lower risk people or prophylaxis they are studying that we're not currently doing that and there is no evidence that that is actually uh, beneficial uh, in terms of sort of other therapies like a vaccine, they have isolated the, the gene and they are working on it. Uh, I would caution people, though, that vaccines don't come out right away. Uh, the best hope for a vaccine, I think, is if this turns into like an influenza illness where it comes back every year, we have a vaccine for the next time it comes around. So so, so just to clarify, you have been um, uh, administering chloroquine to your ICU patients? And, and, and Correct. What is, what is the success level uh, of treatment for that? 
so we have not had to be, you know, I'm going to caution you and say that most people that come into ICU with this don't necessarily do well. The numbers are anywhere from about 50 to 70% of people die. Um, I can't say that the chloroquine has made any big difference. Um, we have very small numbers to tell. That being said, we're giving it at this point to people that are really sick because we don't really have anything else. And there is this, um, you know, perhaps small benefit to it. Uh, once we get bigger studies, we will obviously give it, you know, either early or not give it at all. The side effect profile is generally okay. I mean, it has some side effects, but it's generally okay. And in people that are in an ICU and, and like if you're facing a 70% mortality, we will do whatever we can, even if we think there's some small benefit. Uh, this will kind of segue into, you know, specific to the, uh, the wrestling side of this entire conversation. But for those that are out there that might be immunocompromised or, you know, dealing like, like as we'll talk about with with Roman Reigns, just for anybody out there, what what preventive measures do they need to be going to above and beyond what uh, somebody without those kinds of uh, issues is dealing with? So I think first and foremost, they need to speak to the physician that's best managing their immunocompromised condition. So if it is uh, that you're on chemotherapy or you're, on, or you're on drugs for something like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, uh, a conversation with the physician, so if it's a rheumatologist or oncologist or whatever it is, uh, to discuss what the best strategy is. Sometimes people are on immunosuppressives because they really need them, and in most cases that's, that's true. In some cases, though, uh, they're on it and maybe the indication isn't as strong and the dose could actually be lowered a little bit to sort of prevent that. These are all individual conversations. I think if you're on any of these drugs, you should be having. Right. You're also at higher risk if you do develop um, the infection. Now, the actual numbers we don't know. We know in general diabetes, high blood pressure, any kind of an active cancer in the last five years were all sort of higher risk. So, you know, you should do your best to isolate even further. If anyone is sick, I would completely... Uh, stay away from them at this point. And I would have a low index of suspicion to go to get checked. So uh, for most people, we're saying self-isolated home. Uh, you have to understand symptoms typically develop day four to five, and people don't get really sick until about day eight or nine. So if you are one of those people that's immunocompromised and you start to get a bit sick, I would have a low threshold to go get checked out because we may actually admit you just to make sure that uh, you recover, whereas we may not for somebody who is not immunocompromised. Let's uh, turn things over to, to the wrestling side of things. And, you know, obviously you've been following everything that's been going on. Um, WWE just wrapped up their tapings this week. Um, and, you know, we would assume probably wouldn't be taping mm, at, at least in, in, uh, until they're able to. AEW, for, from what we know, will be continuing. Earlier, um, perhaps, um, I believe I heard on a, another podcast, maybe the risk was kind of assessed at as low to medium. Uh what would you assess the level of risk of running a wrestling show at this point? So it's only a bit higher. Back then, when we were first assessing it low to medium, there was less community spread. So it was thought that if you sort of isolated everybody and you knew that they didn't have direct uh, linkage, it was going to be lower. Um, I believe that they are using temperature as a gauge as well as symptoms. Temperature um, is, uh, or, or the presence of a fever is, uh, you know, usually present in about half the people that have it. I'll be honest, though, we're seeing a lot of people that don't have a fever and very mild symptoms that are still swabbing positive. So I don't think it's the world's greatest gauge. It's about all they have, though, right now. Um, that being said, you know, the risk is uh, a little bit higher for sure. It's probably medium risk, at least. Um, you know, they're going to do their best, I think, to try and screen people with symptoms, try uh, their best to minimize the number of people. Um, unfortunately, wrestling, they're kind of in each other's face, obviously. So there's not much 
what you can do other than try, I guess, not to breathe on the person or, or, or that. Um, I think for Roman Reigns in particular, which is um, the biggest news to come out of it, uh, I was asked about that in another podcast, and I, I did say that uh, I think he's obviously at higher risk. Um, he's probably on a medication that is not high-dose chemo, the type of cancer he has, he's, but he is on some form of cancer. It's certainly been in the last five years. He would be at higher risk, and uh, you know, I think he completely did the right thing taking himself out of that situation. For him and anyone who's on immunosuppressors, one of the things that I forgot to mention is that fever may not be reliable. So because your immune system can't mount the fever, you may not have a fever. Uh, so you have to be diligent for other symptoms. So in his case, that would not even be a great screen. And I think he completely did the right thing taking himself out of that. For somebody so, like it, him, I mean, it would be a while before he would be able to even consider returning, right? As long as this is all out there. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I, I, he might be able to do talking segments or something like that, you know, but I think anytime he's going to be within that sort of six feet bubble of anyone else, uh, given his health status. And of course, I don't know the active status of his cancer, but I do know it was in the last five years, and I assume he's still on treatment, that, um, you know, he's got to be careful, right? When it comes to, you know, the when you're watching these shows, I mean, I'm watching them and I'm very uncomfortable. And it, it seems that more and more are kind of coming to that realization. And I think the Roman Reigns story was probably weighing on, on a lot of people as well. Like when you're watching these shows, I mean, is it like, are we being somewhat alarmist here by, by, by watching this with this concern and almost assessing every piece of contact here? I mean, where, where kind of, when you're sitting down and, and watching one of these shows, I mean, what is your level of concern here about uh, these people going through with this and having this kind of one-on-one -on -one contact? So I think I've seen one episode of AEW um, that I did see. And I mean, the show was good. It gave me some entertainment, uh, you know, on a rough day. But I was uncomfortable. I mean, I, I knew that there was some things in there and I, I couldn't help but cringe. I'm like, oh, my God, that that's risky. You know, I, I hope, you know, that that they don't do that. They do that. I couldn't enjoy it as much as I did. And I haven't watched anything since then. Uh, you know, I'm not really... I think comfortable watching that, knowing what's, what's happening when I go to work and seeing uh, the situation for what it is. Um, I hope everyone is safe. And, I, you know, I know that they're doing more than just, you know, uh, the usual sort of workplace. They're certainly trying to screen people. It's not going to be zero. And in some cases, you get more and more spread. It's going to move into a sort of medium risk category even. So, you know, I, I find I can't enjoy it. Uh, I'll be honest. You know, I haven't watched. I probably won't watch uh, WrestleMania, I don't think. I, I just from whatever enjoyment I'm getting from it is offset by my concern whenever I see that um, personally. Can you tell us what, what the latest is um, in Asia, you know, uh, what the latest is with the disease, uh, whether in China or South Korea, uh, and, and, you know, how we can continue to look at the, 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 the development and the handling of the, of the disease there for any sort of uh, insight? Yeah. So when you look at, uh, I'm going to start with Europe, if that's okay. So when you look sure. at Italy, they, they look like they've kind of hit their, their peak levels. So they're not increasing caseload every day. They've kind of hit the flat, the top of their curve, and hopefully they start to come down. Uh, we're, you know, about two to three weeks behind Italy. So that's why all the estimates you're hearing are about two to three weeks where we will hopefully hit that point. And then it will start to come down. When we look in places like China and Korea, uh, you know, we see that the caseload has dropped off. And uh, in China, you know, they're having under 100 cases a day. Korea is about 100, where uh, they were much, much higher before. So what we're looking for there is really a rebound effect. And the biggest worry is South America. So what you might read about is something called the South American rebound, which means that because the area hasn't been particularly hard hit, and we don't know why. I mean, maybe the weather in Brazil is less conducive. Maybe it just hasn't made its way over. But the the concern is that as it infects that part of the world, maybe you'll see a secondary rise in, in some of the other areas like China or Korea or even here if people are traveling and that link sort of comes back. Um, 
we'll also have to keep an eye out and see. We know that it's going to confer some short-term immunity um, just based on it, how antibodies work. But, you know, does it confer immunity, you know, a year out or six months out? We don't know. Obviously, China and Korea and some of the earlier hit areas are going to be our best indication for that. However, I would say, you know, it's optimistic that the numbers have dropped and it's optimistic even in Italy that even if you look at the numbers, what we're looking at from an epidemiology standpoint is that they're not increasing at the same rate and we think we've kind of hit the top, hopefully. So optimistically, most of the estimates now are, are hopefully we're about two to three weeks behind and then we'll hit that area too. And hopefully our peak won't be as high, we're hoping. Alex, just from yourself personally, um, how are you doing throughout all of this? Like the the days I have to imagine are extremely like rigid and I mean, have to be just, I can't imagine it. Like you're putting yourself here um, in risk every day to help others. And just how are you doing with all of this? I mean, it's been tough, I think, for anyone who's... Um you know, frontline healthcare worker. Um, most days what I'll do is I'll, I'll go to work uh, in my scrubs, go there. Um, you know, I'll have a mask on almost the whole day. I'll go in and out of rooms, putting on uh, additional equipment like face shields and this and that. I'll change and shower at work, come home. I'll change in my uh, garage. I sort of go down to the basement, take a shower. And if I feel like I haven't had significant exposure that day, then I, I may, I'll come up and interact with the family. I know some other doctors, if they feel that they've had anything or uh, nurses and anyone who's frontline, I uh, will actually kind of stay in their basement or try and isolate a bit. Um, so it's tough. It's a tense environment at work. Uh, you know, everyone is, is clearly on edge. Everybody is, is very nervous. Um, that being said, you know, um, this is, uh, you know, our job and this is what we love doing. So, uh, you know, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to, to help people that, that need help. And uh, I'm happy if we can sort of win this fight a little bit and, and reduce our numbers like we've been doing in the community. So while it has been, you know, personally, obviously for everybody, I think a, a little bit stressful going to work and, and it's hard, you know, what do you do when you have parents? You know, you kind of tell them to stay away, your family. Um there's a lot of us going through it, though, so it's not just me. There's a lot of people, and I think at work, uh, we really draw strength from each other. We have a lot of Facebook groups, a lot of WhatsApp chats. We talk to people all over the world that are, uh, you know, ICU doctors and that to, to kind of draw strength from and, and get an idea of their experiences and, and how they help cope with it. So, you know, it's been challenging, but um, at the same time, you know, this is the job that I love doing, so I'm happy to do it. Do you have any, uh, um, you know, current advice for our listeners to take? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing if you are isolating. Uh, you know, I know it's been tough for people, um, you know, do your best to continue at it. Um, we are seeing effects in Ontario that show that it is helping. Like our, our levels, if you compare against the rest of Canada, are lower. So if you're in this area, uh, kudos, you've done a good job and please continue to do that. If you're sick, you know, don't go to work. And uh, if you have to go to work, try your best to work from home uh, if you can. Um, you know, continue to encourage people around you to do this. So, you know, if you have uh, somebody who's maybe seeing that the numbers are dropping and they're anxious to do something, you know, try and encourage people around you to still stick to this until we know that the numbers are low enough. We don't want to see a secondary rebound in this. In SARS, there was a bit of a rebound, we knew. Uh, once we almost cleared it here, we, do, we obviously don't want to see that here. So uh, I think that's the most important thing to do. And also uh, just try and be kind to each other. I mean, it's a t stressful time for everybody. You know, if you're if you see people around and you, you see somebody maybe wearing a mask and maybe, you know, you think that annoys you because they shouldn't have the mask. Understand everybody deals with things differently. Uh, this is not the time to turn on each other. If you have extra supplies you don't need and, and there's somebody who needs them, um, you know, feel free to share with them. Um, you know, we're all going through this together as a society. And I think it's really shown us that whether you're rich or poor or whatever you are, we're all affected by it. And if we stick together and kind of help each other, I think it'll be a lot easier. I'm going to end this on a lighter note is I, I have seen the, the, 
uh, at least uh, diagrams of what this looks like when people are being tested through the nose. And that sure. that visual will keep me locked in my house <laughs> until this thing is done. I I don't I could not fathom having this done to me, and if that frightens me as much as anything. So I think everyone needs to see a description or this thing done because it will scare you from from taking any chances. This would be shown in every wrestling locker room if I if I had the control. Yeah, no, I mean I'll give you a funny story. When I was a, a medical student, uh, I had a family medicine teacher who told me that um, what she used to do was they would do a urethral swab on guys that would come in for STDs, and she said when she did one of them, they they never oh. came back. So <laughs> they learned their their lesson to to use um, protection. So I think this is similar. Like like it, you know. A, it is a bit of an invasive. They're going to put in your nose and swab sort of deep into your pharynx to, to get a good sample of cells. So, um, yeah. Um, you know, in addition to that, even the, the mild symptoms, people that have had it, and obviously I've seen people that have had it, um, even people that have a milder disease, it is a, it is a very, uh, much, uh, a lot of body pains, a lot of fatigue, a lot of symptoms. So even if you get the milder disease, it's really not something you want. Most people are probably going to be okay. Even if you get it, um, especially those that are, are younger and healthy, but still, if you can avoid it, uh, you're going to do the best for yourself and those around you that maybe are higher risk that shouldn't get it. Alex, uh, well, I just, Alex, I just, sorry. Yeah. We're probably going to say the same thing. I just want, I personally just want to thank Alex for like taking the time to not just to educate our audience, but like the wrestling on behalf of all wrestling fans. Thank you for, for your appearances on Dave's show, on Jericho's show, on Nate's show. Uh, I've learned a whole lot about all of this just from, you know, hearing, hearing your words. So thank you for, for spending that time. No problem at all. I'm very happy to do it. I think, you know, the, the more information you get from people um, that are telling you sort of how it is, as opposed to just randomly uh, reading things is much better, even for myself. And when I'm getting information, I, I try and make sure it's very credible. So I'm happy to, uh, you know, spread that information anytime I can. It's it's so appreciated, Alex. Like we, we can't thank you enough. And like you and your colleagues are the real heroes throughout this whole thing. So thank you so much just uh, for taking a bit of time out of what is a very, very busy schedule for you just to uh, help help educate a lot of people like us who have a lot of questions. No problem at all. I'm happy to any time if you want to you know, send me a question on the forum or whatever. Uh, I'm always happy to help. And uh, I hope everyone continues to stay safe and healthy. Our next guest joining us tonight on our special Bonus edition here at postwrestling.com. No stranger to this website. He is the professor of WrestleNomics himself, Brandon Thurston, joining us. Brandon, first of all, how are you? I'm great, John and Lay. I have no symptoms, so I'm okay for now. What's kind of your day-to-day stuff like? Are you just give us a sense of uh, where things are like in uh, in your part of the country? So I live in Buffalo, New York. Uh, as you guys probably know, things are real bad in New York City, but not. Yeah. Uh, Relative to that, not so bad uh, on the other side of the state here. We have, uh, I think, quite a few cases in Erie County and Niagara County, which is where I spend most of my time. I, I work in Niagara County and I live in Erie County. So things are, you know, uh, about average, I think, compared to the rest of the country, but not nearly as bad as New York City. Um, I have a day job and it's being cut down to three days a week instead of five days a week starting this upcoming week. So. I'm going to have more time, I guess, to, to hang out at home and uh, get deep into the spreadsheets. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we, uh, it just seems that it's something that no timeline to any of this. And it's kind of now we're at the point of just trying to make sense of just all the implications that are going to come out of this. And it almost seems like so secondary to be focusing on just uh, wrestling. But I mean, that is kind of our, our coverage. And I mean, this has to be, Brandon, the like the strangest 
WrestleMania week capped off by the fact that WrestleMania has technically been completed at this point and it's days away. Right. Uh, And (laughs) WWE's going to pass up a lot of money because of, uh, because of the the COVID-19 crisis. Um, I've been been doing a lot of studying lately, trying to understand how much money they, they stand to lose from this compared to what their 2020 would be like otherwise. So I've been doing some research to try to think about, okay, if, if this was a normal year without a pandemic, how much money would they make? How much revenue would they bring in? What would their operating income be? Get that number and then consider, all right, they've, they've got 11 segments, revenue segments that, of their business that W reports on and sort of assess you know, how much at risk are, is, are each of these segments and try to get an answer. And I, I think they're still going to be okay financially. That's, that's the, I think the headline is that they're still going to be even a profitable company because um, I don't, I think the, the segment that is least at risk is the TV money. Mm-hmm. And, and as you guys know, the, the TV money is by far the, the biggest piece of revenue, especially this year, because this is the first full year that they're going to have of these new deals uh, from, from Fox and from the USA network. Um, the live events uh, section obviously is being wiped out for as long as this is going on. The, the venue merch segment, which is you know, obviously the, the merchandise that they sell at live events, that's right alongside it being wiped out for as long as this goes on. Uh, WrestleMania would have been alone as a, as a ticket uh, piece of business would have been worth somewhere between probably 15 and $17 million. They would have done the adjacent events at the, at the arena, you know, the NXT, the Raw, the SmackDown, the Hall of Fame, that would have probably been another $4 million. They probably would have generated another $3 million just in, in merchandise uh, around WrestleMania. So that comes to some, something like uh, $20 million or $22 million just for WrestleMania. That's probably wiped off the board completely here because, you know, there's WrestleMania is already in the can. So, and I think as time goes on, things get more, um, more uncertain as far as how much money they're, they're going to stand to lose. I think it'll be interesting to, I think the biggest uncertainty and the inter- most interesting thing to think about is what's going to happen with W network subscribers and what, and is W going to be able to run more pay-per-view events after this? Because it doesn't look like there's going to be a live event anywhere in the country and probably not the world for at least a couple of months. And I think the big question is, is W going to do more pay-per-views after this? Are there going to be more pay-per-views to, to promote on TV? I think they'll be okay in terms of they'll be able to deliver some sort of TV programming. Uh, they'll be able to deliver, you know, old pay-per-view matches that have never appeared on the USA Network or Fox before. And I think that gets them by as far as delivering programming to, to Fox and USA. But I don't know if they if there's any way for them to continue to promote pay-per-view events and to continue to have that pay-per-view piece to continue to retain WWE Network subscribers. And I think there's some downstream effects as well, affecting their uh, even their online merchandise business and their uh, product, you know, their licensed product sales, which are largely um, video games and action figures. I just think the longer this goes on, and the, the longer that WWE doesn't have exciting, compelling, normal programming to present, the less engaged people become with WWE over that time. And the more of those, those downstream parts of their business start to start to suffer a little bit more. You mentioned all those calculations and, and those, uh, you know, pretty high numbers that WWE will be losing out on Brandon. And I mean, they must be aware of what they're missing out on by, you know, putting on WrestleMania in this fashion. So what, reasonable reason could you think of why Vince would want to go ahead this way? Because Vince is a germaphobe and he hates the idea that a pandemic is going to stop him doing what he wants to do. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I think 
other than maybe just Vince's stubborn personality, I think there's I think Q2 is usually a quarter that that runs from April to June that is does really well for them for uh, network subscribers because rest, that's where WrestleMania occurs. And I think if they put off WrestleMania to maybe the summer, let's say, then they don't have that that normal jump up in subscribers that they, that they would. Um, but I've heard a lot of people argue that you know it would be a much bigger deal if if you the first big event that that's that happens once you can do live events again, make that WrestleMania, and that'll be a big deal, and you can you know you can get more subscribe get the, get the subscriber jump there, and it'll be a, a huge event. You know it'll get the the usual you know fifteen million dollars in ticket sales, and all the adjacent events can be at that time as well. Um, but you know it's uh, yeah. Go ahead. Well, what's interesting to to me about all that is is, is the fact how um, prior to all of this occurring, it really felt like the conversation was that the WWE was kind of throwing in the towel, so to speak, on the network, and that they were moving on, selling those pay per views to right. other places. The idea that that they that they would go ahead with the WrestleMania to, you know, provide value to a network that you know uh, up until this point this year it felt like they weren't really too keen on you know investing more into. Uh, does that right. surprise you? Um, I, I think the COVID-19 crisis has interrupted the possibility that they're going to be able to sell pay-per-views to a major streaming player. So on the last earnings call, which was in February, you know, co-presidents George Barrows and Michelle Wilson, who had been with the company for about 10 years, who were kind of the architects of the network, uh, who had a lot to do with the strategy that, that the network involved, uh, they were apparently fired and uh, it appeared to be largely over differences about you know, strategy as far as I think Vince wanted to sell pay-per-views, sell them off of the network and onto a major streaming player, maybe ESPN Plus, maybe Peacock, maybe even Amazon. Uh, and and he, Vince made it sound like that's something that, that could be completed within Q1, uh, which, which would be by March 31st. So he's got two days left here. And it doesn't look like that's going to happen. Uh, one of the analysts put out a report saying, uh, from Loop, Loop Capital saying he doesn't think that's going to happen at all going forward. And he thinks that because of the, the stock sales uh, that we saw the other day from Vince, that he doesn't think Vince would be making such a stock sale uh, if there were a big forward. Um, so I, I don't think a, a deal is going to happen at all. I just I think the streaming players, whether it was ESPN Plus or Peacock, I think those are the two most likely ones to buy the pay-per-view rights. I think because of the general economic uncertainty in the world, uh, I, I don't think they're in, in the in the mood of making big media deals right now. So I, I think um, that's not something we're going to see in 2020. But I think after the world returns to normal, I think we're still going to live in a world where live sports content is going to be highly valued. And I, I think that is something that uh, that could get done maybe next year. But I think it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that uh, Vince is kind of stuck with keeping the network probably for the remainder of the year at least. Uh, after you know that was the whole reason that he uh, apparently got rid of Barrios and Wilson, which resulted in a in a significant you know, decline in, in the stock price. And do, do you look at Brandon like this year has not been a great one when it comes to I would say like Vince McMahon's decision making that uh, you know Barrios and Wilson at the top of that that list this you know at this moment unfulfilled promise about a potential transformative deal that they kind of dangled to everyone on that earnings call uh, and coupled with, I, I guess a lot of people scratching their heads over 
forfeiting all this revenue for WrestleMania, at least in the short term. Do you think that this is something that is a bigger deal or something that ultimately this is a company that, as you mentioned, it still has its pillars, which are its television rights fees, and they've had a couple of L's on the board, but ultimately there's still going to be that confidence in Vince McMahon. I think uh, I, I've, I've heard some some talk from, from Dave Meltzer, maybe others, that the investment community has become less confident in Vince McMahon, maybe as a result of the dismissal of Barrows and Wilson. I don't sense yet, and I don't, I don't see every report that comes out, but I do I do get to, to read some of these reports uh, that get passed along to me. I don't sense that there's a ton of new distrust in Vince as, as far as being a CEO. Um I, I think a large part of the, the problems that, that W faces are related to star creation. That, that doesn't happen largely because of Vince's uh, creative vision. But um, I think they're going to be okay for, for this year. And they're still going to even be profitable because the TV rights fees are, are so big. And I think the average analyst who covers WE stock is going to look at the fundamentals of the company uh, as the reports come out and see that they're still breaking in a lot of money, a lot of guaranteed TV money that's probably going to keep them profitable for most, if not all quarters, and it's probably going to keep them profitable for the entire year. And that'll be good enough to instill, I don't know, enough trust in Vince as a leader. Do, can you see any situation where those TV deals might be in jeopardy, given you know um, the fact that they might have to rely on taped content for the foreseeable future? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So we, do, we, know, we don't know what exactly is in those contracts it's not like those contracts are an, are an exhibit as a as an sec filing no one nobody knows what the languages on those contracts except for the parties that are involved um but i don't get the impression that w is required to deliver live content i don't get the impression that w is required to uh to deliver you know even new matches necessarily i, I think they'll be okay just delivering library content if they have to or interviews that are new. I don't know if they're going to have to do like Skype interviews with with some of their their stars or what. But I don't get the impression that um, they have certain requirements that they won't be able to meet even in in a, in a world like this. What 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 more can you tell us about um, Vince selling his shares over the past week? Uh, what what do you know about why that might have occurred, or exactly if to our audience who might not not even know exactly what had happened. Um, I understand it was like not yeah. necessarily a straightforward deal. Yeah, it's it's pretty complicated, and I think I need a a finance accountant to help me understand it. But, it, but basically, <laughs> what I, what what I understand is he sold, or he made an agreement uh, regarding three point five million of his shares. So first of all, in in, in a con to put that in some context, Vince still had still owns I think it's thirty two percent of all WB shares. And that sounds like he owns less than a majority of the company, which he does. But those shares give him. He, he owns special class B shares, which nobody but but uh, Stephanie and Linda own some class B shares as well. So his shares are, are class B shares. That gives him 10x voting power. So he, as a result, he has 70% of the voting power. So he's still very much in control of WWE. So he made this agreement with Morgan Stanley, the bank, to um, a, uh, a contract for 3.5 million of his shares. And it's some sort of deal that... that ends uh, in March 2024, and uh, there's there's uh, contingencies as far as what the stock price is, but I, it looks like it's being done 
I would guess, and there's no language in any of these SEC filings about what the money is for and what it's intended for. And there have been in the past when he's made bigger sales uh, to fund the XFL. But I would guess that this has something to do with having to fund the XFL because he's probably lost out on revenue that he expected to make from the XFL because they've had to suspend their season in the middle of it. And there's going to be no more ticket revenue that he probably expected to receive. And there's going to be no more TV revenue that he probably expected to receive. He's still going to have to probably pay um, employees and take care of other overhead. So I'm guessing that it has something to do with uh, getting some more cash flow in for the XFL to keep that sustainable. He's got three-year TV deals. And so that kind of that, that timing of March 2024 sort of neatly comes in right under where those three-year TV deals are. So maybe he thinks, and there seems to be some sort of contingency where Vince can pay off this this agreement in cash and can still retain some of his shares. And uh, and, and another note that we learned from these these documents is that uh, over these three years, Vince still receives the dividends that that are associated with this number of shares, and he still receives still still retains the voting power. And um, so that's kind of important because. Vince's dividends are actually the, the biggest piece of money that he receives uh, from WWE. His, his salary is uh, maybe a few million every year. It, it really fluctuates based on stock compensation and certain awards. But he, he makes uh, upwards of 10 to, I think last year he made probably about $13 million in dividends. And in previous years, he's made more than that because he had more shares before he made uh, various sales. So, so he'll still continue to get uh, dividends related to 3.5 million shares. Looking specifically to next weekend, how optimistic are you on of the of the surge of network subscribers that we typically see this week uh, leading into WrestleMania? I mean, this. I mean, stripping away everything, it's still the WrestleMania name. They've also got uh, you know mm-hmm. a lot of advertising through these ESPN specials that they've got for the weeks leading into it. Um, are are you expecting like there is going to be that? that increase this year, given the nature of this WrestleMania, or does this not feel like that kind of a show to people? I, th- I think it'll roughly offset. Uh, I think we would see a WrestleMania number um, that would be slightly lower than what it was last year. I think last year was something around 1.7 million. Uh, I think popularity and interest in WWE overall is declining and would continue to decline year over year in this year, even if there was no coronavirus. So I think we would see that number come in maybe around the low 1.6 million range. I think it'll probably be around that uh, for, for this one. I think there may be less interest because it's like, you know, the idea of watching a WrestleMania that doesn't have any fans in it is pretty weird. But I think there's also this component of everybody's stuck at home a lot more than they were last year. And there's less competition out there for sports. Uh, so I think the negative of this is a, 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 a WrestleMania with no fans in it is kind of offset by the lack of competition for sports and for overall entertainment time. And, uh, and I think maybe there is a curiosity factor of like, what is this going to be like, you know, that may keep people from canceling at least until next month. How about AEW's uh, response to all of this? I mean, WWE and AEW have been the prime players that have um, forged through the, in spite of the pandemic that's going on, continuing with shows, um, I'm also curious, just as a performer yourself, just your your own personal opinion of them continuing these shows right now. I mean, how comfortable would you be at this moment doing any kind of wrestling show? Um, 
it's it's hard for me to say because my my income doesn't rely on wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I was, if, if wrestling was my life and my, and what I relied on financially, that, w- that would be a harder question for me to answer. It's easier for me to answer and saying, yeah, I would rather be safe and stay home because I don't, I don't need to take that risk. Um, you know, I've, it, in the last few weeks, I, I've, I had a indie bookings lined up for each weekend and then one by one, like dominoes, they fell. Yeah. Um, I, we, we had one uh, show where I, I heard the talk was that they were going to, they were going to, collect a, a bunch of hand sanitizer and they were going to hire somebody to like disinfect the counters and clean the bathrooms in, in between the matches and stuff like that. And I was like, this sounds crazy. And, and of course it ended up getting canceled anyway. Um, but I think they're, they're playing with fire here as far as uh, continuing to encourage wrestlers to get in the ring and, and uh, take a risk with their health, uh, which is beyond the normal risk that we take with our health. But um, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's like obviously a moral problem, but I think it is an increased risk that, uh, you know, I, I think everybody kind of knows the, the risks that they're getting into ahead of time. So at least there's that, but, uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, we saw the news that Roman Reigns decided not to do the show after your, yeah, apparently, uh, the Miz is sick and other people are quarantined at home. So. I, uh, what, what I said on the, the podcast I did the other day, though, you can imagine like the bad press that could come out of this if, um, you know, a few wrestlers end up with coronavirus or it's clear that, you know, one spread it to another. I think there's a, a, a good chance there's, I think these companies are exposing themselves to the possibility of bad press if uh, something like that comes to light. I was thinking about today as well that had this had this occurred in the midst of the NFL season. I mean, there's no question the NFL would have been shut down through all of this. And could could AEW, given their ownership, be able to have, you know, the left hand and the right having differing uh, responses to the crisis? I don't know if you could necessarily present those two conflicting messages that in one hand, the Jaguars, you know, we're putting safety first. There's no games. And here, this other part of our business, we are going through with shows. I think that would present a real conflict for them. Yeah, that's true. Um I guess you could make the argument that I wouldn't necessarily make, but but say that well, wrestlers are they're only there's only physical contact one to one or however many wrestlers are in the ring, whereas it's twelve to twelve on, on the playing field. But but yeah, it, it would be uh you know one uh, one one part of the con family doing one thing, another part of the con family doing something else. My last question for you, uh, uh, Brandon, is you know um, this is affecting pretty much every. Um, uh, person in the world and certainly it's affecting almost every business in the world if the wwe stands to you know uh lose out on uh, uh a good deal of their profit this year can you see them cutting costs in certain departments or even the talent roster i could see them cutting costs uh like i said though it i i think based on this the uh the estimates that i've done in the last couple of days i think they'll still be profitable even with the same what they call corporate and other expense uh, that they had last year, even you know, increasing that incrementally, I think they'll be okay. But you, I, I would expect that they would try to cut costs, just like any other business would try to cut costs to compensate for a lack of revenue that's coming in, to try to meet the profit uh, projections that they they expected to to meet at the beginning of the year. Um, but uh, was it, I'm sorry, was another part of the question? Uh, do you think this affects you know perhaps their um kind of likelihood of wanting to retain as many wrestlers as they possibly can going oh, for wrestlers yeah. that, are, no, that are free agents. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I don't think this changes WB's uh, idea of wanting to keep as many wrestlers on the roster as possible and to not uh, allow 
more talent to go to other places that they don't want to get into more of a competition with. It's it's amazing how how many uh rest, how how much their talent roster has grown over the last years. In 2015, uh, they reported they had 150 talent under contract. 2019, they have 300, and in five years, it doubled. And I think they have enough money. And like I said, they're still going to be profitable anyway. I don't I don't think they're going to release people. Certainly not in significant numbers. Uh, my last one is kind of just the the opposite of that. If you are an independent wrestler right now or someone that was kind of courting free agency, does this does this time period make you, uh, number one, that contract comes your way, you're that much more going to jump at the chance to have a contract? I mean, we look at some of the NXT UK guys that they've received criticism for going that route. At, at the moment, it seems, you know, being under a contract is very important. And you wonder how much... Uh, talent is going to be risk averse because of you know this being so fresh in their memory. Yeah, well, ho- hopefully this isn't something that uh, recurs anytime again in our lifetimes. But uh, yeah, I, I it's um I, I do wonder though on the other hand, like how many wrestlers are out there compared to other recent years that are now making a living on the indies? You know, in in in, in twenty twenty, how many wrestlers were there that were making a living on the indies compared to like say five years ago? I, th- I would think it's less just because. Uh, so many more people have been put put under contracts. Yeah, but um, I think uh, I mean that's it's like, it's like those Jeff Cobb them. level guys that I would say yeah. like they're not there 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 aren't a ton of them. I just wonder like well, how how is, many is cases Jeff, of those Jeff, we would see. Is Jeff Cobb under contract now? With the uh, he just made some appearances for AEW, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The, to, to my knowledge, he hasn't signed with anybody. Yeah, um, you could especially if once the world is back to normal if. if uh, these companies are in a in a mode to to sign people again. If if people are having financial hardships, I'm sure they would be even more eager to be signed. But yeah, um, yeah. Well, Brandon, uh, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your Sunday evening to come join us. I encourage everyone to go check out uh, WrestleNomics.com, uh, your database for all of this uh, fun stuff. And Brandon, you just completed your 100th edition. Yeah, the 100th for me. I know Chris Harrington. Uh, did did WrestleNomics and he did a sort of the precursor Indeed Wrestling podcast before that. But uh, as far as the WrestleNomics radio that I've been a part of, that was the 100th one that I've that I've done. I've been doing them um, just quarterly. We used to do them weekly, of course. But I've since Chris left, I've been doing them quarterly, and uh, I've been doing them though more frequently lately because there's been uh, more stuff to talk about, and and hey, there's more free time on my hands. So I guess. Uh, I don't want to jinx it and say I'm doing it weekly now, but I'm doing it more often. So probably look for another one later this week. Uh, we Once again, you go to WrestleNomics.com. Follow him at Brandon Thurston. Uh, we always uh, get to uh, chat with Brandon after the uh, the quarterly investors calls, which, I mean, man, I, I can't even imagine what the next one's going to sound like. Uh, so, Brandon, uh, we always appreciate you uh, taking some time to chat with us. Yeah, it's going to be interesting next quarter. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks, John and Wade, for having me. Our last guest, certainly not least, he is one of the vaunted kings of sport, also part of Yahoo Sports and a guy that is here to just make the world a better place. He is Marcus Vanderberg joining us here on this special edition of Post Wrestling on a late Sunday night. Marcus, first of all, a happy belated birthday. Three Pisces on the line as we speak. Uh, Let me correct you. I'm an Aries, not a Pisces. Oh, did we, oh, did we just switch into Aries? I thought I yeah. just have, I just assume everyone in March is Pisces. I guess where's the cutoff? Uh, middle middle of the month, I think. It's like Jeez. 
What what are you, Way? Are you do you fall I, into I, Pisces? By I am a, I, I am certainly a Pisces. But I hope we get along Way's either the way. 14th. Yes. I think we do. We're good. Okay. Well, uh there you go. We've got uh two fish <laughs> and uh Austin Aries here on the line. So thank you uh so much, Marcus, for stopping by, joining us. Uh what what is life like in, in California? Uh we were just talking off air. You're pretty much uh under house arrest like us. Yeah. Um we had our stay home order, I think almost two weeks ago now, and um, it's running through April 19th. It's probably going to be extended at least through the end of April at this rate. And yeah, you know, it's uh, John, as what, you know, what can we you have go a, out for? Uh, grocery stores, uh, the bank, you know, stuff that's pretty essential gas. But besides that, I mean, there's nothing else open. Um, the malls are closed. Um, most restaurants, if they're not open, then they're doing takeout only. Um, all the bars are closed. Even stuff like, you know, getting your hair cut, you can't do that. You can't get your nails done. So they're pretty much cracking down on everything. Yet, when you, when you do go out, you still you see a lot of cars, and you're wondering, like, where are these people going? Um, but, yeah, it's it's pretty much a, it's a ghost town out here. I think you you were about to talk about perhaps your personal circumstance. We know uh, Marcus just you you just had a baby not too long ago. Um, so what's that been like? You know. It, yeah, I was gonna you know tell John like you can probably relate to the first six to nine months of having Max. Is you're used to oh, being yeah. home anyways. You're you're sort of on you know lockdown. So that part it's been not too different being home all the time um, with him. You know, luckily he's still young enough that none of this will, you know, phase him or he'll remember any of this. But um uh, we have all the essentials. We have diapers, we have formula, we have wipes. Um so in that sense it's pretty much business as usual for us. Well that's good to hear. I mean I I didn't know what it was going to be like. Like me and my wife are now both working fr- from home every day. And it's it's honestly been like fine. Like he's very like he's two years old. So he has a lot of energy, but he's like pretty good about uh he'll he'll play. He got his toys and man i will not sing the praises of peppa pig loud enough i mean he just he loves this show he has made it through like the entire series i think twice now at this point (laughs) i mean that peppa pig you can put it on i I don't want to rely on the tv like too much but i mean in certain extenuating circumstances it's it's peppa pig and toy story and he he cannot get enough of them we have not reached the TV age yet, and uh, selfishly, I can't wait for that moment because, you know, it's, when he's, he's six months, seven months, you sort of have to either hold him, keep an eye on him, or, you know, try to put him down for a nap. So TV doesn't really have any effect on him yet, but maybe by the end of this thing, he'll be ready to go. It was like two days at home, and my wife cracked and said, I'm getting Disney+. Plus." I said, you you have my blessing. Go, go for there it. You go. So, there you go. The, these streaming services, I mean, I mean, like – Joe Exotic is going to be the star of this. Like he is going to be associated 20 years from now when we talk about this period in history. Like Joe Exotic is going to have a place in the cultural memory of this time period. So I know you finished, John. Wait, have you finished yet? I finished last night. Yeah. Oh. All right. I'm I'm two episodes in. Oh man. Me and Way are gonna we're we're definitely doing a show on, on this entire thing. I sat I I had like three episodes to go last night and i just went through all of them they're not even like crazy long episodes it's like 45 minutes there yeah Yeah. but you really do need a break from them because it's it's just like you you just need time to process like what you're watching 
Like you're just waiting for at the end of this whole series for everyone to just come on screen and laugh and say, we got you because this can't be real, but it is. Uh, the, the weird thing is I don't remember Joe excited. I mean, he's obviously been in the news before this, but I don't remember any of this stuff coming up prior to this documentary coming out. I had never heard of this guy in my life. I n- not the wrestling connection, nothing. I had never heard one iota of any of this. It's all I'm watching this with fresh eyes. There's a podcast that came out from Wondery that um, I think got a lot of uh, attraction. But what what's so interesting is that like I don't, you know, like the story that they present it it, it exists um, the way it does. But what I've been really interested in is all the fallout and all the reaction to the series by some of the subjects. I recently saw a video from like uh, Carol Birkin. Is that her name? Carol Baskin. 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 Ha- uh, Harold. Yeah. So like they have their own YouTube channel. And so Howard Baskin just posted this video talking about his thoughts on the series and how he felt swindled by like the producers of the show. All that stuff is like just as interesting to me. She should be furious of like when you watch this, <laughs> like she is. Uh, we we got to save it. There's no yeah. one I want to talk about this more than Way. Uh, I want to hear Nate. I want to hear everybody's thoughts on this. I want to hear Brian's thoughts. I want to hear Nate. Like this to me is I'm fascinated by this you documentary. Should do the, Every the single King roundtable. That's your nuts roundtable. <laughs> that would be something. I can't I can't even imagine. But coming up next weekend on the other streaming service that is the WWE Network, Marcus. What is happening on Saturday and Sunday? Describe what you expect to be sitting down and watching. And will you be watching next week? And I'm sure you will be. Yeah, even though I told myself, nah, this is going to be dumb. I'm going to watch. Uh, we're all going to watch. Because really, what else is there to watch? Uh, as I watch WrestleMania 32 at the moment. Um, what I'm expecting is a highly produced, highly polished television yeah. show that won't feel like WrestleMania, but will feel different than Raw and SmackDown in the last few weeks, if that makes any sense. Um, my only concern is let's hope the show isn't four hours each night. Let's hope this is like a nice two and a half each night and we can get down to five hours total because I, I don't know how they stretch the matches they filmed so far into four hours each night. On, on my guide, because um, we have like the channel of it up here, it's listed for uh, six to seven each night is a one hour kickoff. And then they're slotted in from seven till 10. Now they can obviously go way past 10 if they want to, but that's what they have listed in in the guide right now is three hours. Uh, it'd be, actually, I should say for the first night, it's listed at three hours. I couldn't go ahead to see Sunday, but I imagine it's the same. With the one hour I kickoff. Do, I could do three hours. Wow. We, we yeah, with the, the one hour kickoff, because we, we need to. How can you do two kickoffs? I mean, you can only kick off once and then we got to kick off again. Like that's like a kickoff at intermission. It's just kind of seems redundant for, at that point. For these shows, I would imagine the kickoff to largely just consist of uh, video packages, you know, because it's not like they have. Yeah, because they're not going to be in studio together unless they're all yeah. like joined by. Maybe it's going to be a Zoom party. Maybe it'll be um, they're all gonna be on Zoom. Maybe that'll be what they utilize. They might be. Uh, what's been interesting about these ESPN WrestleMania replays is, have you seen any of them up up north yet? No, we, we don't get ESPN up here, so um, they're not airing. Actually, Sportsnet is going to be airing the, the the WrestleManias this week. Actually, okay, so they are definitely produced by the company because you're not getting the entire show. Number one, number two, they're they're cut in and out of uh, Tom Phillips and um, Corey oh Graves. Yes, Corey Graves. They're doing sort of intros 
sort of setting up the matches and also playing WrestleMania. And it looks like they're doing it back in, in uh, Stanford. So I would expect them to use the Stanford studio for any for any you know pre-show stuff. But mm-hmm. um, it, considering all the stuff around him being under you know quarantine, it was interesting to see him on television doing this stuff. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, do you feel that there would have been more interest in this just out of a curiosity if these Raw and SmackDowns in the lead up that they had relied more on old footage, promos, and because now we've seen these empty arena matches and I don't know if you really have that curiosity factor and if it's actually a turnoff to some people that you know they have seen these in execution and they probably have not been overwhelmed. I mean, it's very hard to replicate a pro wrestling match when you're taking away the crowd. Yeah, I don't think we'll see like from the, the wrestling fans that have been watching week to week. I think what's really going to hurt this WrestleMania is the lack of media that usually comes with WrestleMania week. You know, if you take out Usually WrestleMania week is a big time for the company in terms of getting your talent out there. You're doing all of the the mainstream television shows. You're not going to have that this week. So I don't know how the company sort of attracts the casual sports fan, casual wrestling fan who might normally watch a show on any other year. But this year, because the lack of media won't be there, I think that's where the curiosity level could have helped if they were able to reach that audience. But I don't know how they get there. I know for us at Yahoo, um, we are doing something with Drew McIntyre that will be out this week. Um, and we have another feature lined up. But um, usually we got a lot more stuff going in the can. But I think because of the show and just everything going on, all that has been sort of suppressed. I mean, it is one thing that everyone's home now and that they can just send these guys, you know, remotely from their homes to do media because you know if you're an espn if you're a cbs if you're a yahoo i mean people are just starved for content at this moment like here is an event that is happening and i'm sure wwe would be more than happy to make their talent available to any of these big outlets right now that are looking for stories and they they want to push this show as hard as they possibly can do you think that with everything that happened with the tapings and all the, the, the match changes and stuff, do you think that sort of changes their philosophy in terms of putting talent out there? I think that they will, like, clearly, it, it's from the interviews I've heard just in the last day or so, it seems like they are very much trying to avoid, you know, stating that these shows have been taped already. They're almost trying to put the veil that they're still live out there. Um yeah, I, I think it's it's very tricky because anyone, you know, that's going to be interviewing people, I think naturally the Roman Reigns stuff has to come up. Um, that to me is just natural that you'd want to bring it. And that's why this week it's like WWE is going to be promoting this match until at least Friday. I mean, unless they do something on Raw, which I'm not expecting. I, I really thought it was a misstep to not just everybody's aware of this. It's a huge story. Let's just address it in some form or fashion on Friday because we have this event to promote all week and what, what good is there? Like how you can't send Roman Reigns out there to do media for you this week, but yet that's the match you're kind of internally pushing. Yeah, that, that was, uh, I mean, even down to the main event of that show, the SmackDown where, you know, you're setting up this tad match that we know it's not going to happen. It just felt like they, they reached a point where they figured it was too late to edit the show heavily. And they're just going to sort of punt on this week and hopefully focus on next Friday. But to your point, it's 24 hours before WrestleMania. At least, you know, in the past, you had an extra day to sort of create a buffer. But with this new format this year, you're really cutting it close. 
like, like think about like Goldberg is one of the big stars on this show. And if you were to, you know, if you were to rank your, your top three, you know, performers that would go out there that like say an ESPN would want to talk to, I would think Goldberg would be in that top three. And how can you send Bill Goldberg out this week to uh, promote something? It, it just, it, it creates like a really weird situation to me, but I mean, promoting this show, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know like really what the appetite is going to be like for WrestleMania. Maybe it's going to be big. Maybe people are going to be really just, it's still WrestleMania to people and they're looking for options at this point, or they're just going to look at this is a very, this is anything but a WrestleMania in presentation. And it's not, not going to really land with most people that you would typically assume would be at least those, those once a year fans that come back for WrestleMania. I'm curious how this show does and what, what kind of audience tunes in for it. Well, for, well, from with like, with, with the, the company that you work for Marcus, I mean, is there a heightened interest in this WrestleMania given that it probably is one of the few new uh, sources of content that's out there? Not really, to be honest. Um, you know, we, we sort of, Myself and our other wrestling fan in the office, Anthony, sort of do our own thing for wrestling coverage. But there's not, there's not been sort of um, increased demand internally for like wrestling content this week. And um, why that is, you know, I don't know. Um, it could just be a thing where like wrestling sort of not viewed as quote unquote sports or it just could be like wrestling buzz is down in general during this time. And um so yeah, in that sense, there's not an increased appetite for any like WrestleMania content coming up from this this week. As you look at like j- just the larger sports world in general, Marcus, when whenever things are reopened and these leagues resume, what's kind of your sense of where where the public's attitude is going to be? Like yourself specifically, like things start. Are you are you going to an NBA game right away? Are you is there going to be that kind of caution that is exercised as one of the side effects of this for people to uh, get back to normal routines after going through such an extreme withdrawal from everything? I think I would feel more comfortable at a outdoor sporting event, to be honest. So like a baseball game, um, then thinking about going inside an enclosed arena, sitting next to strangers, essentially. Um, I do think that once sports comes back, there will be a period where there are no fans at all of these events. Um, and I think it will sort of gradually get to the point where um, fans are sort of reintroduced. And I think baseball will be the first test case for that. Uh, baseball also benefits from the fact that you're you're you know running these larger stadiums. If you needed to do a situation where early on fans are allowed back, but fans are not allowed to sit at each other. So you need to have a, a seat in between. You yeah. can do that at a baseball game. You, you can't really do that at a basketball game, especially with basketball where we are at the point in the season. Once the does return, if it does return, we're nearing the playoffs. The idea of doing a playoff game where, you know, half of your fans are not in the building doesn't really make any sense. So um, I could definitely see the NBA doing a situation where they do not introduce fans for the rest of this regular season and playoffs and try it again in the, in the fall. But with baseball, I think they will be the first ones to sort of reintroduce fans into, into uh, uh, arenas for wrestling. I think that's going to be very interesting. Um, you know, I think there's obviously between WWE and AEW, I think one of them is going to want to be first to sort of say, Hey, welcome back. Here we are. Um, who that company might be. I don't know. I, I would, 
tend to bet Vince will pull that trigger first before anyone else. But um, it just, you know, thinking about Nature's WrestleMania, the idea of 80, 90,000 people in uh, this arena, this this outdoor stadium a year out from what's been going on now, it, it just, right at the moment, I can't, I can't see it happening. I'm sure we'll get to that point at some point, but at the moment, it just seems like so daunting. Looking ahead to next year's WrestleMania in your neck of the woods, Marcus, um, do you, I mean, it's certainly a little early to say, but like, can you see any sort of precautions um, WWE might, might be taking or even any of the independent wrestling companies that might be taking given everything that's happened this year? Um, I think the one precaution we're going to see at all these events will be some type of um, measurement for fevers and, and just, you know, increase awareness of like, if you have a, a fever over a certain amount, you, you can't come in. Um, you know, I think it would sort of like security it would suck at, at first because it's another step to get inside. But I do think that early on, we're going to see an increased awareness of like, you know, making sure that people aren't going to these event, going to these events sick. Um, outside of that, I mean, we sort of saw it on, on the way out, at least situations like Disneyland where, you know, you're talking about major, um, venues for that are gathering people, but they had an increase of hand sanitizer. They had these mobile sort of wash stations where you could wash your hands. I think we'll see that across the board at all these venues and stuff. Um, From a independent wrestling standpoint, that one seems like more of a, you know, go at your own risk. I I don't know financially how much you're going to want to put into sort of protecting the, the greater good of the, the audience. Um, I'm sure they'll protect the workers for sure, but I think when it comes to the fans, just sort of like use your best judgment. So, um, you know, this is all assuming that we don't see another outbreak in the fall. And if we do see another outbreak in the fall, I think that's when you start looking ahead to WrestleMania next year and wondering, okay, will we see an actual show? Yeah. I mean, that's the, you know, the great unknown is, you know, the time frame of all this. And I mean, even best case scenario, and you're looking at, you know, late summer, fall that things are relatively back to normal um we've seen like with the loss of this year's wrestlemania weekend and not being postponed to make up at a later date so many of these indie companies that you know you have to wonder like next year are are they taking the risk of running wrestlemania weekend next year do they do they sit that that weekend out and just are they're scarred from from the events of this year that next year do we see a reduced like what does wrestlemania week look like next year in terms of volume of shows and volume of promoters i think we need factor in a los angeles which is not a a cheap city to run and also the mm-hmm. fact that as i mentioned in, in january la is very spread out so even if you know i would i would expect a smaller wrestlemania presence in general because it's it's just so big it's hard to really cluster into you know, this is going to be the, the wrestling part of the, of the town. So I was already expecting sort of a, a different type of vibe for WrestleMania weekend, but especially now, I think we're going to see some of the smaller shows say like, this is not worth the risk. Um, I, I could still see like a WrestleCon, you know, trying to, to do something. Um, but I, I do hope that a lot of these independent solar small promotions sort of work together into deciding, all right, we're going to figure out where, we want to set up shop as opposed to trying to get people to drive all across the town to, to go see wrestling. 
Anything else, Marcus, uh, sort of on your mind as it relates to what's going on right now um, with either sports in general or wrestling? Um, you know, I just think going back to, to the coronavirus, like for me, I have an autoimmune disease and it's a situation where, you know, I, I think that people need to remember if you have underlying, you know, health conditions, you need to really take this stuff seriously. And, um, you know, it just seems like the news down here, it's, it's a lot of doom and gloom and, um, at times it's hard to watch, but you know, I, I think the, the positives is like, it seems like social distancing is helping at least in California. Um, and just to take care of yourself, you know, it, it's really, um, been eye-opening for me to sort of watch the coverage and knowing that I'm at a higher risk because of my health situation and that, you know, I don't really want to put myself out there and, um, try to you know get myself in the way of, of the virus. But at the same time, you need to sort of go to the grocery store. You need to sort of provide for your family, do simple things in life and, um, you know, taking it one day at a time. Well, Marcus, uh, I want to thank you for, uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, yeah, we wanted to check in with you, see how things were going and, uh, look at just the, the overall, uh, world at large. And, uh, we'll, we'll definitely uh, get you back maybe for some, uh, some tiger King chat, uh, down, down the road as well. You have, you have five episodes of just insanity uh, in your immediate future. I want to savor these five. I'm going to take it one night at a time and really take it all in. Because after the Tiger King, uh, I got one season left for Kim's Convenience to finish. And then I got to figure out what, what else to watch. Episode three is among the crazier episodes of television I've watched in my life. It is all right. one, one uh, aspect of the case that is focused on for the whole show, which is it's yeah, I just I can't say the word insane enough, enough time. So um, enjoy is all I can uh, provide you. Thank you. Uh, if you want to follow uh, Marcus, of course, all of his work can be found at uh, Yahoo Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Marco Will and Patreon.com slash the Kings of Sport. They are Marcus and Nate wearing the crowns throughout all of sport. Uh, so do check them out. And I always look forward when a new show drops, Marcus. We are probably due for one this week. So, um, hi, Nate. <laughs> he's he's getting on Skype right now. He's going to be hitting you guys up. So uh, go check them out. The Kings of Sport, uh, phenomenal content uh, as always. So thank you very much, Marcus, and and have a great rest of your evening. You too. Thank you, Marcus, and thank you to all of our guests, including Brandon Thurston and Dr. Alex Patel, also generous with their time to come here on this post roundtable edition. A bit of a different format to the post round table, but uh, three great guests way. Yeah, I really was happy to talk to all three of them. Just uh, thank you to everybody for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, I'm always uh, so grateful. Uh, the guests that uh, take time out to join us and three people that I definitely want to have on tonight to chat with. So we're going to sign off. But coming up this week, I was putting the schedule together this week way. And uh, my God, are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. are you ready for WrestleMania week? I'm, I'm ready. Well, it all starts. With Rewind a Raw on Monday night, we'll be chatting about the final Raw before WrestleMania, which was which is taped to tee up a taped WrestleMania. On Tuesday night, for our patrons, we will have Rewind Away number 58, which coincidentally is my favorite number. And we're going to be reviewing World War III 1995, WCW's first 60-man three-ring battle royal. And we hope that all of you are going to observe this Rewind away. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this one. 
Uh, I, I'm definitely looking forward to diving into WCW 1995, which has been this rabbit hole I've gone down this week and relived. Uh, then on Wednesday, we've got our usual shows of Rewind to Dynamite and Up Next with Braden Harrington and Davey Portman. Thursday, it is the Cafe Grande Hangout, 2 p.m. Eastern, live, youtube.com slash Post Wrestling, where we are going to be joined by many guests from the Post Wrestling Network of Friends and you. We are going to be taking phone calls throughout the show and way also a chance for people to buy a very limited edition T-shirt that does go to several very good causes. Yes, that's right. Yeah, this is kind of a combination of our Q&A, but also a fundraiser for a couple charities that we've had our eyes on uh, just to, you know, do something for people in need at, at this point in time. And uh, those charities, again are the Sunnybrook Foundation, which is a hospital that is local in Toronto, but also a research facility that has um, done a great deal of research to isolate the virus responsible for COVID-19. Another charity that we've uh, chosen, and this was from Robert Pearson, who, who of course, is uh, working with us on uh, producing the show, but the New- NY Community Trust is our, our other charity. And, uh, of course, cool. this is something that's really affected uh, New York right now. Uh, but the New York Community Trust is uh, a, a fun launch to support uh, New York City nonprofit organizations, which um, I think people may really need right now. So, yeah. So those two charities will be donating to all proceeds from the T-shirts, as well as uh, any super chats that we get from within our YouTube chat will go towards that. So uh, if you have the time, please uh, tune in on Thursday at 2. Yes. Uh, two very worthwhile causes that you'll be assisting. And again youtube.com slash post wrestling this is free to everybody you don't have to be a patron uh to uh, watch live on thursday but just note the special start time of 2 p.m eastern time that we will be doing the cafe grande hangout on thursday friday we've got a new edition of the british wrestling experience as martin jamesy and benno are going to be back and they're going to be chatting about uh, all the latest news that is going on and then they are going to be doing a classic review themselves they are going to be going back to the Wrestling Channel's International Showdown event from March of 2005 that Martin and Benno attended, and they'll be reviewing this show. So uh, a special review on British Wrestling Experience. Friday night, Way and I will be uh, up for post-wrestling cafe members with Rewind to SmackDown, and then into the weekend. So this is how WrestleMania is going to work. So typically, our pay-per-view format is that we go live for Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso Patrons. Well, on Saturday night, after night one, we are going to be live for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. So if you want to watch the Post Show live, phone in. Uh, all patrons can do so on Saturday. Sunday, we'll be going live again. That will be our regular format, going live for Double Double, Ice Cap, and Espresso Patrons. So that's how we're planning our WrestleMania coverage. Two shows out Saturday and Sunday night, along with Thunderstruck, which will be out Sunday morning with WH Park, joined by John Carroll from the Wrestling Omakase podcast to chat Jushin Thunder Liger, Takahiro Murahama against Kenta, and now Michimar Fuji from July of 2003, as we we are on to the final countdown, the final three editions of Thunderstruck, beginning on Sunday. I think a couple familiar guests in those final three shows. Do you know something I don't? Who who could these two people be? I think people. It's. I think you're talking to one right now, and I think I'm talking to the other. I don't know what you're talking about. So 
You'll have to tune in and find out, everyone. But only three editions of Thunderstruck left to go. And he just dropped one this weekend, WH did, with Alan Forel, who is uh, – I love listening to those two together. So that's a great show to check out as well. But that is the WrestleMania week schedule here at Post Wrestling. And then much like uh, a typical WWE schedule, we, we're, we're back the very next night after WrestleMania. We are back. I mean, the big difference is, John, we get to be in our own beds this time. Are you I, in your bed right now? Do you do these from yeah. your bed? I, oh. I've I've just I've been going through my whole routine. Yeah, I've, I've been brushing my teeth throughout this entire podcast. I'm like, you know, I'm picturing Way like with his microphone in one hand and he's got a barbell in the in the other one, and he's just like <laughs> working his arm right now. But yeah, uh, I just I, I did a whole yoga session in the midst of this uh, interview. So yeah, it's been great. That's what was in the background. I could hear you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us for this special uh, Sunday night post-roundtable edition. Again, a huge thank you to Dr. Alex Patel, Brandon Thurston, and Marcus Vandenberg for joining us. We'll chat with you on Monday night following Raw.